Okay. Okay, we're studying the uh, book of the Revelation and we're finishing up uh, chapter 20 and looking into chapter 21 concerning the new heaven and the new earth. Um, in the tenth verse of chapter 20, uh, we see that the devil is eventually cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. And we've learned that he is not the first occupant of the lake of fire. It was the Antichrist and the false prophet that were the first occupants of the lake of fire. And that's always been interesting to me to, to notice that. And so when you study carefully um, what it says in the 20th verse of the 19th chapter uh, concerning the false prophet, the beast, the Antichrist, and you discover that they were cast in the lake of fire first, that parallels what the Lord was saying when he said to the Pharisees, ye are of your father the devil and the, the lusts of your father you will do. And so when it comes to the evil that is in the universe, there are a lot of people who like to think of Satan as being the great enemy. Well, he is the great enemy. But he is nothing like the enemy that our free will is. I believe that with all my soul. That <clears throat> the only problem I have is me. The only problem I'll ever have is me. And the damnation that is on the soul of anybody that does not get saved is equal to the damnation of <laughs> Lucifer. And that are cast into the lake of fire. And one of the reasons the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire is, I think, to lend a little more thinking in that direction. Uh, Satan is not to blame for the fall. It was a free will choice of Eve and Adam that resulted in the fall. And so, knowing this over the years that I've been studying these things has been a blessing to me because it helps me to focus on why Jesus Christ died for me. He died for me. He didn't die for the devil. He didn't die for the demons. He died for me. Well, what kind of death did I deserve? And the message of the Bible is the lake of fire is what I deserve. And uh, the thing that magnifies the so great a death and the so great salvation 
is that nothing less than deity, which is the creator God, could provide a remedy for my problem, my sin problem. It's that big. And it would do us good to think about these things and allow it to be a part of our our thinking every day. Uh, because it provides us a reason for humility. Humility isn't something that just happens. It has to have a reason. And these things provide reasons for humility. Folks, uh, this will radically change our attitude toward other people. We were talking about some of these things in college prayer meeting this past Friday night. Uh, who art thou that judgest another? For wherein thou judgest, judgest another, thou doest the same things. And in Galatians uh, chapter 6, I think, uh, verse 1, where he says, uh, If a man be overtaken on a fault, Ye which are spiritual, uh, uh, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And so we were talking about that at college prayer meeting, how that we're all alike. There's not one person better than another. I don't care what kind of sin you know is uh, maybe uh, known to you concerning some other person. God says, uh, who are thou that judges? Because you do the same thing. This will radically change our perspective of the people around us and help us to rather than to judge them love them as Christ loved us that's what he said a new commandment I want you to love them as I have loved you well why would he say that as I have loved you because we deserve to be damned that's why and the only reason we're saved is mercy and grace. That's it. Mercy and grace. The two least understood terms in the Christian vocabulary are those two terms. Mercy and grace. The, the depth of those terms is enormous. And we need to think about these things. And so these are thoughts that come to my mind as I... Uh, Go through uh, Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11 says uh, in chapter 20, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. Now notice these words, From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no place, and there was found no place for them. 
Now I want you to think about that. What are these words saying? And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face... You see, face carries the idea of communion and fellowship. Looking face to face. Face to face I shall behold him. Fanny Crosby said in her song, there's just something about looking a person in the face, looking them right in the eyes. It carries the idea of fellowship. But notice what these are doing. No fellowship. They fled away from the face of God. Heaven and earth fled away. The demons, the principalities and powers in high places, they fled away. They fear God. And the fearful are going to have their part in the lake of fire because they never knew Him. I'm telling you that fear of God as a result of sin will never characterize the believer in eternity. We will never fear God again. I'm telling you, a lot of people don't understand that and they can't get away from all the verses in the Bible that say, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Well, why does it say that? Because we're sinners and we ought to in the... The reason for fearing God is in us. It's not in Him. He's the Savior. He came to save us from ourselves. And so I've brought messages on the fear factor. The fear factor is not Christ. The fear factor is us. We're the problem. But perfect love casteth out fear. And we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And if you think that Jesus Christ fears the Father, you do not understand the Trinity. That's impossible. Because He has perfect love for the Father and perfect love casteth out fear. There's no place for fear in the Trinity among the persons of the Trinity. And are, are we... Uh, failing to understand that the, the whole design of God and His salvation plan is to make us holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight without fear. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. And we need to embrace these things and enjoy these thoughts because this is the way it's going to be in eternity. And so the earth and heaven fled away from his face. And then it says, and there was no place found for them. I had a thought when I was reading that there was no place found for them. Now we're singing about John's Gospel chapter 6, which is another passage that uh, was troublesome to the people of this world because... 
the Lord was teaching, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And a lot of people left him and wouldn't have any, wouldn't follow him anymore after that. And so the Lord Jesus looks at the disciples and said, Will ye also go away? And Peter said, Where can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. But you see what it says right here in verse 11 and the last part? And there was found no place for them. What kind of place? A place of hope. A place of salvation. A place where you can find truth. Peter got it right. Where can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Folks, there is no place to go but Christ. Is this book, is this precious book, this is the place we go? We don't go to Fox News, we go to this book. If you want to know the future, go to this book. It's so certain the Lord Jesus said, It is done. It is done. That's found in chapter 21 and verse 6. And he said unto me, It is done. Why does he say that? It hadn't even happened. This is the creation of the new heaven and the new earth. It hasn't even happened. And he says, it is done. That's because God's prophetic word is as good as done. That's why. And the Lord wants us to understand his word this way. You can count on it. You can count on it. And so, earth and heaven fled from his face. It's talking about personalities fleeing away from the Lord in verse 11 of chapter 20. And there was no place found for them because there is no place when you leave Christ. Uh, And then we see in the 12th verse of this chapter... The books that were open. The books. There's the books plural, and then there's the book, the book of life. And we talked about those books. Now, what are they? Well, it tells us what they are. They were books that contained the works of men the works it was a record of evidence they were evidence books why? because there's a great white throne judgment verse 11 and I saw a great white throne this is a courtroom this is a courtroom of God and in a courtroom just like in our judicial system today 
the basis for arriving at a judgment or a conclusion in the court is evidence. And without evidence, you can't convict anybody. And so, why should we be surprised that things on earth follow the pattern of heaven and the pattern of God? Well, our entire judicial system, our very form of government and our constitutional republic is patterned after the Word of God. The reason we swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States is because we're giving allegiance to the only author of truth that teaches us the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. And so in our country, we we swear we're going to uphold the Constitution because the Constitution upholds Scripture. Scripture. And that's why you put your hand on Scripture and you swear that you'll uh, uphold the Constitution. Because you're upholding the Scripture. Without the Scripture, you don't have a Constitution. It doesn't exist. We need to understand it that way. We need to explain it to people that way because we're living in a generation and in a culture that has no clue, and especially our United States Congress. The vast majority of people in the United States Congress have no clue what I've just talked about. No clue. And it's our responsibility being a nation where the government is all by and for the people it's you and me to teach them these things. To write those congressmen, those senators, and, and teach them what we know to be the truth. We're the light of the world. That's what the Lord tells us. And so the books, plural, there's a book in heaven on you and me right now. And the good thing about it is those books are only at the great white throne judgment we're not going to be there there are no books of evidence against a genuine believer they're non-existent because God has promised that he'll never remember them again there's no need for them. They don't exist. And so what's rubbed out are the books when it comes to the believer. But when it comes to the book of life, you know what's rubbed out? Your name if you've rejected him. And so it's kind of interesting when you think about it. The books are destroyed. If you're saved, the books of evidence against us. But your name is left in the book of life. But your name will be rubbed out and the books will be preserved against you if you reject them. That's what this passage is actually teaching.
Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. <coughs> so what do these things mean? That's the question. What, what does these things mean? It talks about death and hell. Death and hell. Well... Death, when you understand what the Bible teaches about death, you find it actually in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 15, concerning the vine. And we're the branches. But if you cut a branch off, you go out here and cut a branch off of a tree, immediately it is separated from life. And it dies. That's what death is. It's separation from God. That's what death is. And so we are told to abide in the vine because that's life. If you separate yourself from God the way Eve did, you die. And the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And so separation from God is defined as death all through the Bible. And so when we read about death here, we ought to plug these thoughts in and understand how God is using death. It's separation from Him. This is why Peter made the statement he did. Where can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I have to abide in you to live. And there's no other place that a person can find life. We can't abide in something else. Because you are life. You are the creator of all life. And that's how we're to understand death. But what about hell? Well, if you do a little studying on it, we don't have time to go into all these things, but hell is the grave. It's the place of departed spirits. And everybody is going to die once. It's appointed a man to once to die. And when a believer dies, his soul goes to in the Old Testament paradise where Abraham and Lazarus were but at this point now that Christ has risen we go into the presence of God and so our spirit leaves our body and goes to be with the Lord and that's what Paul taught and so Death and hell, it talks about separation. Well, death, we think about death not so much as separation from God as separation of the spirit from the body. And that's how we understand death as it's written in Scripture. But the spiritual meaning of death is separation from God. But you remember the words of the Lord Jesus? I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Shall never die. So, death to the believer is only separation from the body. But as uh, Tim Rabin so eloquently preached in uh, Patricia uh, McConaughey's funeral, when she passed away, the Lord was right there and took her by the hand and took her into heaven. He never left her. He never forsook her. And according to the promise of His Word, this is the experience of every Christian that dies. They're, they're never left alone, ever. For a moment. When you die, you're in the presence of Jesus Christ if you're genuinely saved. That's what the Bible teaches. And so, um, to go a little bit further in these thoughts of verse 13 in chapter 20, when it comes to understanding death and hell, He's talking about two different things here. Death and hell. And we've talked about death as being separation to the believer. It's from the body. To a lost person, it's separation from uh, more than the body. It's separation from God and the body. But another way that we think about it is body and soul. The body, when we die, goes into the ground. But the soul, it goes somewhere else. In the Old Testament, if it was a believer, it went into paradise. But to a non-believer, the soul goes to hell. A separate place. The Lord's talking about two things. He's talking about what we've spoken of so often. There's two dimensions. Spirit world, spirit dimension. Physical world, physical dimension. There's these two dimensions. These are things that if you understand them, you can plug it in all over the Bible. Because the whole Bible is about two worlds, two Two worlds, two dimensions. God is a spirit. He became a man. God created man and breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul, spirit dimension. That's how you understand that. But let me tell you the part that a lot of people do not get when it comes to death and hell. Back some years ago... (laughs) Jerry Falwell was put on a corner about something that he'd never really thought through. And somebody was challenging him about the homosexual. 
And he came up with this little uh, ditty thought. Uh, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And I heard him when he said it. And I came back to my office and I, I began to ponder that thought. That God hates the sin and loves the sinner. I was sitting there in my desk and I remember talking to Brother Ken about it. And uh, I said, Kent, and I asked him this question. I called him into my office and I asked him this question. I said, can, can sin exist apart from a person? And he said, no. I said, I thought so. And I said, Jerry Falwell's wrong. God does not just hate the sin. He hates the sinner. And that started a division in this church. Sure did. And there are people that left this church in droves because of that teaching. I taught it in Sunday school. Kent later preached a message on it in a service because we had been talking about it. And then he wrote a book on it. He sure did. We got copies of it back there right now on what's called the love-hate doctrine. And it divided this church. But it doesn't matter. I mean, if people are, are not going to be humble enough to study the Scriptures and, and think it through and get away from their traditional thinking their humanism that affects us all, then where can we go? I mean, you have to go to this to find the answer. And so when I went to this to find the answer, I found out that Jerry Falwell and a bunch of other people across his nation trying to figure out some way to compromise uh, themselves with the onlooking world who felt like that Christians were just too hard. They were misrepresenting the loving God. And as I studied the Bible, I'm going to tell you something. God is more than just a God of love. He's a God of hate. He sure is. And he said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And God did not separate Esau's sin from him as a person. And here's the thing, and I remember teaching it in this church. When Jesus Christ was nailed on the cross, it wasn't just sin that was nailed on the cross, it was a person. Because you can't separate sin from the perpetrator of the sin and the crime. You can't do that. You can't do it in the judicial system on earth, and you certainly cannot do it in the judicial system of heaven. What person can't understand that? 
is amazing to me. You cannot separate sin from the perpetrator of a crime. You cannot do it. And so when we read here in this... uh, um, passage verse 13 and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell we're cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. A death in hell. Well, we typically think of death as it relates to the body. When you die, your spirit leaves your body. But it's telling us here that that the body and the soul were cast into hell. When it says that the Antichrist and the false prophet, the beast and the false prophet were cast into the lake of fire, folks, sin was not separated from their bodies, from the perpetrator of the crime. God hated them and their sin, both. And so this idea of God loves the sinner but hates the sin is unbiblical. It's not true. And so people have a problem with it, even with this explanation, they have a problem with it. But... That's because they did not follow through and understand in Kent's book, The Love-Hate Doctrine, the term proffered. Proffered. God's love was proffered. It was offered. Proffered means offered. God's love was offered. When you go to the cross of Calvary, and believe the message of the cross of Calvary. Then you become a recipient of His love when you embrace it. And you become a Jacob, have I loved. But if you do not embrace it, God hates you with an everlasting hatred. And He will allow us to consign ourselves to hell forever to be tormented in the flames for all eternity. And this is a man's choice of the free will. That's a horrible message from heaven, but it's the truth. It is absolutely the truth. And anybody that dies and turns their, 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 their heart away from, their mind and their heart and their soul away from the loving, innocent God who did everything to save us from the one thing. The one thing. The free will. To love self more than Him. Well, He's not going to enter... If I can add one thing 
Yeah. To, to, I want to say that I've thought a lot about this over the years. And God gave me a, a, a vision or a, a, an idea, an understanding. At the rapture of the church, at the rapture of the, of the, of the saved people, we are putting on incorruption. We, we, we become in Christ. Mm -hmm. And we are His righteousness. He gives us His righteousness. Mm -hmm. And so there's no sin in us when we stand before Him. Mm -hmm. But He doesn't do that for the lost. That's right. They stand mm -hmm. at the judgment seat of mm -hmm. the great white throne mm -hmm. judgment in their sin mm -hmm. with no help. Yeah. And that's what, when you're talking about, the, and God doesn't want to send them to hell, but like you just said, that's the truth. And I've told people that. It's, if you want to get out of the hell, and you want to get out of the sin, you have to put on the righteousness of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. <coughs> well, James also said uh, that the tongue, he was talking about it in James chapter 3 for those that want to study it that a person that is lost a person in their natural state their tongue is set on fire of hell what do you mean by that? well your tongue is what manifests your thought life which is only evil continually that's where you see Mark chapter 7 and the description of the nature of man uh, thoroughly disclosed by the Creator God. He's the only one who really knows us. And He doesn't have one good thing to say about anybody. Not one good thing. Not one in one point. <coughs> And so everything that we are is set on fire of hell. In other words, the lake of fire, as we might think of it, as horrible as it is, is a description of our nature. Horrible as it is. That's how we're to think about it. Whatever fear and horror we have of hell ought to be the fear and horror we have of our nature that the Lord Jesus came and died for. That's how we're to understand it. But please understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, sin was not nailed on the cross. A person was nailed on the cross. When the, the beast and the false prophet were cast into hell, Their sin was not separated from them. God hates the sin and He hates the sinner. Don't ever forget it because that's how it's presented in Scripture. Okay, we want to get into... I, I, I really did not intend to go into all of that. I wanted to go into something else. And Oh, good. We've got a few minutes. I want to uh, take you to chapter 21. And we're, we're through with chapter 20. I want you to, I want you to enter into the, the wonder of what's here before us. 
because this is insight into the eternal future. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. There's no more sea. I've thought an awful lot about this subject and I'm going to go off on something that you're going to think is somewhat of a bypass totally unrelated to this statement right here, but it's not. And I'm going to prove it to you that it's not. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to um, Ecclesiastes... Uh, mm, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 <coughs> and all, <coughs> all I ask you to do <coughs> is just think about it. Verse 18 we're going to start reading there. And I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them that they might see that they themselves are beasts. Beasts. Animals. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Animals. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dies, so dies the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all his vanity. All go into one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again, man and animals. But then notice what it says. This is what I want you to think about. Verse 21. Who knoweth the spirit of a man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Now, that is a very, very thought-provoking statement. And so we want to examine it just a little bit to see what it's, what it's actually saying. <clears throat> well, one thing it's saying is that there are two dimensions. There's a physical dimension and there's a spiritual dimension. And the spirit of a man is eventually going to go up, saved and lost. The saved are going to go into the presence of God to live forever. The damned are going to go up to the white throne judgment. They certainly are. The spirit of man is going to answer to God for his crime. So then every one of us shall give account unto God. We go up. Everybody saved and lost. That's what the Bible teaches. 
We just read it in Revelation chapter 20. How can you not go up as a spirit to stand before the throne of God? Even if you're lost, the spirit goes up. Spirit dimension. Spirit dimension. Physical dimension. But I want you to think carefully about what it says next. And the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth. I submit to you that you cannot make any sense out of that statement if you don't believe there's two dimensions in an animal. A spirit dimension and a physical dimension. God not only breathed the breath of life into man, everything in the universe that has life got it from God. He breathed the breath of life into every animal that He created. He sure did. And the reason little animals that we love, especially our dogs and our cats and horses and various things like that, have a personality... They have a spirit. They have a soul. They do. And this verse is saying they do. There's more to an animal than just a body. How can something go downward if it ceases to exist when the animal dies? That's impossible. It says that the spirit goes down. Well, that doesn't mean they go into hell. It doesn't mean that. But their spirit goes somewhere. Because animals are not in the same judgment as man at all. And I can tell you just as surely as I'm standing here it's in the book that all the animals in God's creation are innocent and become the victims of the sin of man. When man sinned, the curse fell upon the animal kingdom. Why? Now listen to this carefully. I hope you don't forget it because it's the truth. God, in His infinite wisdom and genius, wanted to make you hurt inside every time you were riding down Bennett Street and an innocent little squirrel got run over or a rabbit or a deer. Why? Why does He allow that to happen? Because He wants you to ponder every day of your life in His creation this question, why do the innocent suffer? Why do the innocent suffer? Well, the innocent Lamb of God suffered. And so He chose to use them as types. The Lamb, the Lamb of God. You remember when Josiah and when Solomon offered all of those sacrifices? Thousands upon thousands of sheep. Thousands and thousands of, of cattle. 
and rams and doves. They were all innocent. They were all innocent. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Why, did, why would God choose a lamb as a type of Himself? Because animals are. The innocent suffer. The innocent suffer and God has put it in His creation into the world where we live where we have to realize it every day. It breaks my heart every time I see an innocent animal suffer. I've always loved animals. My wife loves animals. We all love animals. And so, I haven't got much time to to do this, but I'm going to try to push this through. And we'll talk about it again a little bit next week. But I found something today that I had never read before. I have been a lover of Matthew Henry for years. And I've had his six-volume commentary on my shelf, and I pull it down all the time and read what he had to say because the man is just an absolute genius when it comes to the Scriptures. And I had no idea that he thought the same things that I've preached in this church, and I've preached this for years, that if you've got a pet, you're going to see that pet again. I believe that, just as sure as I'm up here right now, because I've studied this book. And I don't care if there's not another preacher or theologian on the face of the earth that believes what I'm going to say about it and have said about it. I don't care. I don't go anywhere but right here. And this is what, what I believe. And here's what I found out today. I'm going to read this to you. It's a little bit lengthy. But listen to this. This is Matthew Henry's commentary on the book of Romans, chapter 8. And um, I think it would be good if you would turn to that right quick. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Because I've pondered these verses right here so, so many times. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation, look at this now, of the creature, the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. How is that possible? If it don't exist, how is that possible? How can you have an earnest expectation as an animal, as a creature, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God? For what God is going to do for those that trust Him. Verse 20, For the creature was made subject to vanity. Read it carefully, folks. The creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who has subjected the same in hope. What is hope? For a dead animal. How can, I, how can, why would God put this in the Bible 
if they cease to exist. The word hope is the future of the creature. The future of the creature. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. I don't know what goes on in the mind of an animal and in the mind of our dogs. I have no idea. But I believe they've got a consciousness of the Creator. I do. And I believe that those animals are innocent sufferers of our crime. All of them are innocent. Now, what would a righteous God do concerning the things that He loves? And now listen to this, because this is a very important part of the puzzle of this question. The only kind of life God has to give is eternal. If you say that's not true, then you say that Jesus Christ is the author of death. No, He is not. He is the author of life. The only thing He's ever imparted is eternal life. And I believe in eternity to come, we're going to see the evidence of what I'm saying to you right now. We, we run out of time, and I'm not going to be able to read all this. But I'll tell you what. You go home. You make this note. Matthew Henry, Commentary on Romans, page 420. And just start reading. And you'll be up to speed for what we're going to talk about next Sunday. And I'm going to show you that I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of men what God has prepared for them that love Him. And you're going to see the great salvation of God in the new heaven and the new earth. There's, by the way, there's plenty of room. <laughs> Can you imagine every animal, every creature, that God ever created, that He gave life to. There's plenty of room in this new heaven and new earth, which has no border. There's plenty of room for all of them. God is great. And God is good. And that good God is not going to allow injustice to be a part of His will, which is eternal. His will is going to be done. He created those animals because He loves these animals. 
And his love was not temporary, it was eternal. The life he gave them was eternal. And his will is going to be done. Oh well, I'm excited about the 21st chapter and getting into it to explain these things. You try to prove that it's wrong and <laughs> come and talk to me if you can. I don't think it's possible. Somebody dismiss Michael, dismiss his brother if you will. Father, once again, we thank you for this day and for this meeting. I pray that you would help help our understanding of these things because we cannot understand it unless you give us this understanding. And thank you for your creation and, and I pray that you would help us to, to praise you each day for it. I pray that you would Bless in the coming hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.